Welcome to this podcast called Curious About Recovery. I am Kirsten Honeyball. I am your host. And in this podcast, I'll be diving deep into eating disorders, which are complex and challenging to navigate. So whether you're a sufferer, a professional, a family or loved one of a sufferer, you can join me as I get curious by interviewing professionals, chatting to eating disorder survivors and sharing my personal experience with an eating disorder so that you can better understand various perspectives remove stigma, hear inspiring testimonies, and simply get curious about all things eating disorder related. I would like to put out a trigger warning. These episodes explore the topic of eating disorders and some content may be triggering to listeners. Topics explored may mention, but are not limited to, trauma, diets, food and body types, suicide, mental illness, substance use, self-harm, violence, gender identification topics, and more. Please take care before listening to any episodes. It's important to note that this podcast is not aimed to diagnose, treat, or cure any form of mental illness and should not be seen as a replacement for treatment of eating disorders. Everything said here is expressed in relation to personal and professional opinions and listeners should be encouraged to view these episodes as an open-minded exploration of various possibilities and perspective rather than hard facts and solutions. Please take what applies or resonates with you and leave the rest. And if you're struggling with an eating disorder, don't hesitate to reach out to me at Kirsten at kirstenhoneyball.co.za. Today we have Taylor Lechner and Jesse. Kilbarger with me today and it's so awesome to have more than one other person I'm speaking to because it just opens up a door for so many more interesting conversations that we can have together and it's really cool because Jesse and Taylor are actually working together they own a company called LK Nutrition LLC which is their surnames put together Lechner and Jesse and Kilbarger so just tell you, telling you a little bit about the two of them individually, and then we're going to go into just kind of a great conversation about what work they do and what message they're trying to get across to the world and just letting you know a little bit more about them. So Taylor is the Clinical Nutrition Manager at the EMILY Program Columbus Outpatient Site and is a co-founder of LK Nutrition LLC, obviously with Jessie as well. She has over six years of experience and has worked in all levels of care outpatient. In addition to counseling clients, she has a passion for educating professionals. She creates and leads online courses teaching dietitians and students how to effectively work with clients struggling with eating disorders and is an adjunct professor at the Bowling Green State University. Taylor graduated with a major in dietetics and dual minor in psychology and organizational leadership and supervision from Purdue University. She went on to receive her master's degree from Bowling Green State University and her research is published in the International Journal of Exercise Science. And then Jessie is a program dietitian also at the Emily Program Columbus Outpatient Site and co-founder, of course, of LK Nutrition LLC. She has over six years of experience and has worked in all levels of care. In her career, she has found a passion for helping clients heal from the negative impacts of diet culture and find peace with their relationships to food, movement and their bodies. Jessie graduated with a major in dietetics and certificate in diabetes nutrition from Ohio University. She went on to receive her master's degree from the Ohio State University. 
Her research from there is published in the Journal of Supportive Care in Cancer. And when I'm introducing you guys, I feel almost blown away by those bios because I am, I recognize the quality of professional and human being that I am about to interview. And I must admit, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> so, so it's really, really lovely to have both of you here. And obviously, through this time, there's going to be some message, some questions directed just at Taylor, some just at Jesse. But first, I would love to know, like, how did you guys meet? So we met at, um, before we were acquired by the EMILY program, which happened right before COVID, we were a small nonprofit um, eating disorder center in Columbus, Ohio, called the Center for Balanced Living. And Jesse started working there a month before I did. And so we basically, like she was technically like training me, <laughs> but we were both like learning together. So we just, through working together and um also, I was new to Columbus too. So she being a foodie herself also just showed me all the different food spots and we got to do that. So we really just connected through work, which is pretty cool. We ended up taking um, the same position essentially, and they split it into two positions and Taylor and I had a mirrored position at the Center for Balanced Living that we both filled there. So we got to hang out a lot at work which led into hanging out outside of work. Okay, that's right. Re it's really awesome to hear that you connected in the recovery kind of space, you know. Just out of curiosity, what inspired you guys to go like, hey, let's start something together uh, in LK Nutrition LLC? What inspired that? I'd say it was a multitude of different things. So I think that in working in the field, but like we have for the past six years, we have noticed things that are potentially missing from whether it be the professional education that dietitians get or whether it be things that like clients of the eating disorder treatment facilities don't have access to through what the uh, facilities can actually offer. Um, and so we just noticed a number of things that felt like, wow, I think that there's a need here. And I think that like with our experience and um, in our lifestyles, like we could really kind of fill in a hole there. And so um, that's really kind of what sparked this idea of going down the route of creating a business that is meant to educate professionals and provide opportunities for clients recovering from their own eating disorders that may not be accessible through traditional treatment facilities and treatment centers. Okay, so my understanding is correct then in saying that the primary the primary focus of the business is to create an education platform for those people hoping to get more informed about eating disorders and how they can apply it in their professional careers. And then also on the side, you have the ability to help individuals. And am, am I correct in saying that? Yeah. So we have the, like a big foundation is educating professionals because there's just not enough, you know, resources. And like I, like we mentioned, you know, Jesse and I started within a month of each other and we were pretty young. We just finished grad school and we had some guidance and, you know, we were a small nonprofit where everyone's really busy, like a lot of workspaces. So we really had to learn a lot on our own and um, we just didn't have very much education on it in school. So we knew we wanted to do that line of work, but we just didn't know the ins and outs. And so we want to provide other nutrition professionals or just professionals in general with the education that we didn't receive so that they don't have to maybe have as many bumps in the road as we did or for it to take as long to get to the 
the understanding that we did about eating disorders and how to treat them. There's a lot of people that I've been chatting to lately about the ideas of what gaps are there in the system currently about helping people and individuals recover from eating disorders. And this thing that comes up again and again and again is a lack of actual adequate and correct education for professionals. So, I mean, you guys have (laughs) definitely got your fingers in the gold there because I think there's so many people that need what you're providing. So just out of interest, what are some of the topics that you cover and what are the things that you teach? Taylor, would you like to speak to professionals? Mm -hmm. So I have um, a seven-week course that originally was through um, Bowling Green State University where I did my graduate uh, program as well as my dietetic internship. And in 2019, pre-COVID, they asked me if I would be able to create and willing to lead like a, a course on eating disorders, which was really awesome. And it's great that they were even forward enough thinking that like a lot of students want this information. A lot of professionals don't get it. And we don't have anyone in our on our staff who is skilled in that. So kudos to them for reaching out to someone who is in that field and knows all of that stuff. So the different topics are... Um, you know, we go over just an overview of different types of eating disorders. We talk about what to ask in the nutrition assessment. And I provide not just like recorded lectures, but also hands-on like handouts and example nutrition assessment. So people can edit that and use it in their own practice if they're practicing or for students to use when they maybe have a client in their in their internship or when they, you know, go off and get their first job, they can use that assessment as well as like supplementary resource, uh, research and handouts and stuff like that for them to use to enhance learning. But we have those overviews. And then we also have a couple different, I think, unique topics that some eating disorder trainings, at least that I've seen, don't necessarily cover. But one is setting realistic and weight-inclusive goal weights. So we talk about health at every size and how BMI is not an accurate indicator of overall health and how we shouldn't just be looking at like the number on the scale So we talk about that um, in addition to set point theory. So talking about how everyone has a set point theory and that changes throughout the lifespan. And so we can't just base recovery off of the number on the scale, but rather like the behaviors, the anxiety level around food, how flexible someone's being around food. And then additionally, one that I'm really proud of too, that I think is so needed is the diversity and inclusion piece. So talking about diversity and inclusion within practitioners. So there's so many myths out there about eating disorders affect young white females when in reality they affect all, they do not discriminate. That's like the best way to put it. They affect all different races, ages, genders, ethnicities. And so we talk about how we can be mindful of that as providers and also be able to like see when someone in the community or someone we might know might have red flags of an eating disorder. So we talk about that and how we can effectively accommodate and be mindful of those things as well as we're practicing. Would you like to say anything, Jesse? Yeah. So I was going to say that's um, that's a lot of what we have focused on the professional side when it comes to eating disorder support we provide and on the client side. So the actual like community members who are struggling with their relationships to food and movement, we have so many high hopes for all the things that we want to offer. And it can look um, it can look anything like providing an anti-diet um, group course where we learn about breaking down the 
the influences of diet culture and creating um, a safer space for us to relate to food, um, all the way over to creating a mindful relationship with movement that's based out of feeling good and strong in our bodies versus rigid expectations of an exercise calendar. So when it comes to the types of education we want available in our community for like the individuals struggling versus the professionals treating, we have so many ideas and so many options that we are, are hoping to get out there and actively working on getting out there. You guys obviously both have a dietetics background, right? So I've spoken to a lot of professionals who have um, backgrounds in like psychotherapy and like, you know, dealing with all the emotional things. And, and, and from a dietetics point of view, it's important to recognize and understand the science going on in the body when you're recovering from an eating disorder, whatever, whatever eating disorder that may be. And so I'd just like to pick your guys' brains a little bit because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that professionals out there that are working more with the emotional stuff might not necessarily know or understand, like, say, look at refeeding syndrome or, or um, you know, when a, when a person experiences extreme hunger and, and not really knowing how to deal with those emotions because the professional doesn't necessarily understand what's actually going on in the body. Maybe you want to speak to a bit of these, some of these challenges that a person recovering from eating disorder might experience from a dietetics point of view so that they can better understand them. Yeah, I think BMI is the biggest things with just there's so many myths about, uh, you know, BMI is not an accurate indicator of health nor recovery from an eating disorder. So we have a lot of not just professionals, but also supports, family members, friends of clients who've struggled with eating disorders who are like, okay, once they reach their goal weight, whether that's losing weight, maintaining weight, restoring weight, whatever it is in their mind or what has been communicated to them by their treatment team, they're good. When in reality, it's this is a chronic and enduring disease. And so it's it's so much more and it's very complex. There's going to be co-occurring mental health disorders 99% of the time. So someone's also dealing with like trauma, depression, anxiety. So it's not just the eating disorder. And that's why it's really important to have a treatment team, not just a dietitian treating an eating disorder or not just a, a doctor, a medication prescriber, a nurse, a therapist. You really need that holistic team approach and there's going to be bumps in the road too. So it's not, recovery is not linear. It's going to be, you know, you're going to have lapses and relapses and that's not a failure. It's, and it's not meaning that recovery is not possible. It's just, this is something that is something people are going to probably have to deal with to some capacity for the rest of their lives. It will get better. And it's not like a, oh, they're getting treatment or they've restored or or whatever with their weight, they're better. I think that's a big misconception. So so both of you have experience working in the EMILY program in, Col- in Columbus Outpatient Care. And, and you know, I'd, I'd love to know more about that and what your experience has been and things you observed and what you've learned. I can kind of speak to the, the EMILY program set up a little bit. I know that... Um, we can both probably speak to that pretty well, but so the Emily program is um, a nationally known um, treatment facility for the treatment of eating disorders. We have multiple what we call levels of care. So um, essentially, that means that we have like our sickest clients. The highest level of care that we offer is residential programming, where the clients are actually like living on site at our treatment facilities and getting round the clock care um, and supervision for their eating disorder, and then. And we have everything that trickles all the way down through 
through partial hospitalization, people that are there most days of the week for a few meals and snacks to our IOP level of care where we have um, they're there like only a couple of days, a few days a week, um, having a meal or snow, and then all the way down to our outpatient level of care, um, which is they meet uh, clients will meet weekly with their therapist and their dietitian to maybe even just monthly, depending on how well they're doing. So the Emily program is really like geared towards creating a multidisciplinary approach to the treatment of eating disorders. So at every single level of care, we have a team-based approach that includes nutrition services from a registered dietitian, um, therapeutic services from our social workers or licensed counselors. Um, we have have medical management from nurse practitioners and a whole host of other medical providers along the way as well. Um, so we really try to look at the patients and clients from this like whole person perspective, just like Taylor was talking about recently there, um, that it takes a whole team to um, help a person heal. It's not just something that we can like physically treat, like we can physically treat the medical ailments that come as a result of their eating disorder, but we also want to help the the brain. We also want to help make this a sustainable change. Um, and at the Emily program, I feel like they're is a really strong effort towards like meeting each individual where they're at. So we don't have this cookie cutter approach that everybody that walks through the doors to get help there is assigned the same exact meal plan or the same exact sort of like treatment course. We have a very individualized approach that includes anything from intuitive eating focus to a structured exchange-based meal plan um, and anything in between. So I think that there's just a whole host of different things and a great number of like amazing clinicians um, that the EMILY program attracts to create a really awesome place for recovery for clients seeking care. I really love what you've just highlighted there, which is this idea that there's not one size fits all when it comes to eating disorders. And you know, unfortunately, they have in the past, I think, been very outdated approaches where it's like, you know, you have this one thing, therefore, there's this one answer, therefore, you have to follow this program and, and not really seeing the person as an individual, um, not really dealing with the co-occurring mental problems, not really dealing with the anxiety, the fears and, and, and all of that stuff. And so to hear that there is a entire program that is like s highlighting this idea of seeing the person as a person, as an individual, and uh, allowing them that space with, with obviously the correct guidance. I mean, if you were to send a, an anorexic person into a place and say, cool, they have free reign of what they want to do, they would never eat, you know, <laughs> like you have to have some level of professional, professional guidance. So, you know, in the time that you work with the Emily program and in your company and all of that, what are some of the challenges as a professional that you deal with um, when clients come into your rooms? I think for me, and this is still something that's like hard, is when you are fired by a client or when someone doesn't like what you have to say, especially as a dietitian, you're oftentimes the, the bad guy or gal um, giving them the prescription medicine with the food in the meal plan that they don't want to have or they don't want to hear. And then there are times when, you know, you just don't jive or they they just don't want to work with you or they're not ready for treatment. And so they decide to stop coming to appointments or they tell their therapist, hey, like, I don't want to work with Taylor. Can I switch dietitians? And I think that's really hard just from a 
personal perspective too, of not taking that personally. And that's something I've really had to learn over time. And we all want to be liked. We all want to, most of us who get in this this field are very caring and kind and passionate people. And so when you're trying to help someone and they are, again, willing or, or able or open to taking your feedback or just would like to switch providers for whatever reason, it's hard not to, to take that and um, be upset with it. And it happens to everybody. So I just want to normalize too for no matter what field you work in, that will happen probably. And it's okay because you're not everyone's cup of tea or coffee or whatever you want to be. Um, but there are clients who you just really do have a great therapeutic relationship with and who you make such a big impact on in their lives too. So it's really important for me at least to remember that for every few clients who maybe don't want to work with you or don't like your personality or how you look or whatever, there's a whole multitude of others who really, really have enjoyed working with you and have benefited. I love that point that you make. And I would just add that like, we also have to understand that it might not be you. It's not personal because they also are struggling with a severe mental health disorder. And they may also have a personality disorder on top of that or trauma. And maybe you look familiar to a trauma experience they had in their life or something like that. So we also have to separate like ourselves from that too, and understand that like, it's not just about the one interaction about us telling them they need to reduce their physical activity. It could be so many other things coming into the room with that client that make it hard for them to mesh with us. So yeah, that's, that's an important one. I would also add that my, one of the biggest things I think in this field, because it's not just, I'm not working in a silo of only talking about nutrition. We are taking in all of these clients, like traumas and anxieties and depression. And I hear their stories from day to day. So on my end, one of the biggest things that I've really had to learn to manage working in this field is burnout. So really trying to create a comfortable like work-life balance between um, what I'm giving to my clients and to my work and what I'm also setting aside for myself energy-wise, mental capacity-wise, um, separation to give myself space because we hear a lot of really tough things. I see a lot of really tough situations. I make people cry sometimes out of like the goodness of my heart. And um, it's not, it's not easy to just like walk away from that each day at work and come home and rest nicely. So making sure that we're also taking care of ourselves, it's really reinforced like mental health is not just a like service we're providing. It's also something we have to do for ourselves in this field too. Yeah, I mean, that's so relevant. Um, I remember a, a while back I was talking to an emergency room doctor and he, he actually was talking to me about trauma. And I was like, the trauma, trauma he'd witnessed and he was so compassionate about these people. And I said, you do realize that you're also dealing with trauma of witnessing these things. And he was like, oh, but I've desensitized to it. And I'm like, well, actually, it's prolonged <laughs> trauma, you know. And, and you speak about this, this idea that sometimes you're not going to mesh with the person sometimes they're not going to be the right fit and they're going to come to you and a lot of the time they're not ready to to walk the recovery journey or they come to you and they're like oh, I really want recovery but oh my gosh you're telling me that I have to eat this food and now I hate you because now you're trying to make me do the thing that I want the worst in the world and uh, a lot of the time when I speak to clients who I know are going into more higher levels of uh, treatment or levels of care 
always say to them, like every single professional in that place that is trying to is trying to help you. You know, not one person is there maliciously trying to stab you in the back or or make you worse. Like every single person there is 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 there for your own good. And I think dealing with people who often have a past of trauma, they really struggle to trust that process. You know. And so just definitely managing it on your on your own personal level to say, I need to take care of myself as well. And it's not about me. It's about a service I'm providing. Not everyone's going to want to buy tires from the same tire place. You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you got to think about that. You know, these, these are very real challenges that you faced as personal. And what are the challenges that you think people walking into your rooms face like how what are they most struggling with um, whether it's the processes that happen once they start eating properly or whether it's the initial stages or learning how to intuitively eat or what are those kinds of things that you that you witness I'd say some of the things that begin for our clients the second that they start treatment and begin changing their eating patterns, um, we're talking a lot about digestive distress. We're talking a lot about learning to trust their bodies again. We're talking a lot about like healing metabolisms and not really knowing what to expect with like weight fluctuations because we can't control that as much as maybe diet culture would lead us to believe. So in the forefront of our work together, we're often talking about those topics. So when you start eating normally, maybe you haven't been having carbohydrates and we start eating carbohydrates and our body's like, whoa, what am I doing with all this fiber? My tummy's bloated all the time. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. And so just being that like steady um, accountability and support for our clients to help them understand that like the only way out of this is going through it, you know, like these digestive dis or disruptions that you're experiencing will dissipate with consistent eating patterns if if we if we just give it time. And then that idea of like when we give it time, we can also then begin to slowly piece together our own internal responses to food again. We can start to feel hunger again, feel fullness again, because those hormonal responses get very, very lost in a disordered eating pattern. We aren't even signaling them appropriately. So coaching a client through trusting their body to signal, trusting their body to like notice hunger and also notice fullness as like a safety net. Um, we talk about those things pretty in depth and, and build up that trust again with their bodies. I'd say that's like the first thing that comes to my mind. I think the um, the trust piece of like trusting themselves and also trusting providers. They, a lot of our clients may have had really negative experiences with past dietitians, nutritionists, um, doctors, and so it takes a lot for them to also go against the grain. So much of what we're saying is is so opposite to what we hear from family, friends, medical providers. Uh, social media celebrities, and so we're we're kind of telling them like the opposite of what they've maybe heard for their whole life, possibly. And so to trust someone, that's that's really hard, um, and to trust their body. So, like Jesse said, it's so nuanced. Like we don't know, will you need to be on this exact meal plan throughout? you know, the rest of your recovery time, will it adjust? Will your weight change? Will it be higher? Will it be lower? Will it be the same? There's so much nuance. And so they not only have to open up to trusting us, but they have to trust us without us having like all the specific examples and human beings <laughs> really like um, black or white answers. And so when we don't have that, that can be really difficult. And 
um, there's a lot of, of trust that they have to give us. I think you're so right there where you say it you know, especially for a person who has an eating eating disorder who's so used to thinking in absolutes and thinking in black and white and like, I need to know that this is going to happen. And then when that happens, you know, like it has to be formulaic. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of myths and beliefs and all all sorts of things changing every single day around food and the body and what's right and what's wrong and what should and what shouldn't. And, and um, you know, a lot of the time, I'll I'll have clients come in and they have got a meal plan from the dietitian. Also, bringing in another fact that, like, you know, you have to get blood tests done. You need to know what's going on in the body before you can go, like, yeah, eat this or don't eat that or whatever, you know. Um, and and it's a very important process. But it, you'll have some people just so afraid of eating certain ways because of what they've been taught about. Let's say it's quote unquote widely known that a certain type of food increases anxiety you know like so you know there's those kinds of things floating around where do you guys stand with that and is there any truth in that and is you know how do you navigate those kinds of conversations yeah I was gonna say Jesse you can take that because Jesse's really good with the science stuff I would say those are my favorite kind of conversations to have. I I love being able to dive in with a client and talk about like, tell me, tell me this thought that you're having about food. Tell me um, where did it come from? We then dive into like, where have you heard this before? What are the sources? I love when I actually like put them on the spot of like, okay, tell me the source of this. And let's say they tell me, oh, I I read it in a research article even. Maybe they come at me with that and I'm like, okay, very curious. That's really interesting to hear. So let's talk about like where the seed of truth might be here and how does this then like apply to you as an individual, like living your life? Like how can we then sort of break down this Maybe it's a myth. Maybe it's something that started out as a little seed of truth and then like diet culture influence or the media have expanded it far past its point of truth, you know. Um, And I love seeing that like exploration of like, let's really break down the science. So maybe I can give you that like such and such food acts on these neurotransmitters and may heighten things that look similar to the neuropathways that anxiety hits on. However, what we actually know in the science is that we would have to have this thing in like these types of amounts that are unreplicatable in our day-to-day intake to actually have that experience. So whatever the myth is that the client is bringing to me, we really take a science like evidence-based approach to it. And we want to break down like why do you, or where did you hear this? What were the sources? Um, Why is this something that feels compelling for you to like hold on to as a rule or a way of eating? And then what is the truth behind it? And then how do we actually adapt that truth to your life situation? So is it fair of you to expect yourself to eat this specific way um, forever? Is that, is that natural? Does that um, create a sustainable change for yourself? So really taking the time to break all of that down and like, pull out the science so that I can, again, build trust. They can trust that like I'm coming at it with a science approach and not just an opinion. I think that really helps have some fruitful conversations about like, how does this fit into the individual's ability to create their own personal nutrition philosophy that's not tainted by diet influence or over-exaggerated like topics from the media or sensationalized fads and trends? 
that's a really concise answer. And I love that because you're actually going, you know, this, if you saw this on an Instagram reel, is it really true? <laughs> you know, um, but, but at the same time, you, you've got to think about things like, I mean, I know that sometimes people will do blood tests for food intolerances that are causing inflammation, you know, and then this idea of, okay, cool. Um, maybe this should be eaten in moderation or, or reduced or this or, or whatever and, and how that could then feed into restrictive patterns because, uh, you know, it's it's a very complex scene. We could go down a rabbit hole because of it, but, you know, are there, are there truths in things like food intolerances, especially if a person is struggling with leaky gut or some kind of gut problem? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something we accommodate um, in our work is if someone, and that's, you know, we talk to clients all about how if you have a true food intolerance or a true food allergy, of course, we're not going to make you eat that food or that's not healthy for you to consume. Um, so we definitely accommodate that as well as different um, pure dietary, I guess, requests or preferences. So if someone is a vegetarian purely for like ethical standards or they just simply like they don't like meat and they never have, we're going to explore that a little bit and make for sure that it's not an eating disorder preference. And if it's determined that it's not one, then we we do accommodate that as well because we like Jesse has said we want it to be realistic for the person. So if they're allergic to something or don't like a specific food, it's not something we need to to you know promote or or ask them to to have. Yeah, I think it gets a little nuanced too because one of the issues I think with like the broad statement of like I'm I have a food intolerance, like what does that actually mean too? I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of misunderstanding there too that like some people might confuse intolerance with allergy or um, not really know the depths of it. And so I think that one of the other barriers I see with this specific topic is a lot of doctors will experience like clients coming in and um, maybe they're listing a host of different like GI disturbances or things like that. And without necessarily having a reason, they may be suggested like, hey, cut out gluten and lactose, but we don't actually have like a diagnosed like ceiling disorder that would create the need to cut out gluten or things like that. And so I get a lot of like this, my doctor kind of offhand mentioned that this might be helpful if I stay away from it. And then the client comes to me and we find that actually that's not a diagnosed intolerance or aversion here. Like, let's find the truth to that because I will have so many times clients have come and they've not been eating, let's say dairy, for example, for a long time not really for any particular reason, but the eating disorder just found that as another reason to like cut out a food group and they don't have an issue with eating dairy like physiologically. So we work it back in and we find, wow, that's another really great source of like protein and calcium and vitamins and minerals that you now have access to again, that maybe was just like uh, swept up by the eating disorder as like, oh, my tummy gets too gurgly when I eat lactose. And in reality, they were just anxious about eating lactose. And then their stomach had trouble digesting because they were feeling highly anxious every time they ate it instead. So that's a really important like side note to add in there. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to be so cognizant of the idea that the stomach also responds to what's going on in our thought processes. You know, it really, really does. At the same time, like there's this, I see it everywhere, gut restoration, you know, that's this this word, okay? So 
you know, in my personal journey, I have experienced um, a very, very bad gut problems, and and have I, I in the, in initially had to go for blood tests, and I had to uh, eat a certain way because my stomach was medically ruined, you know, um, and and it's it's in truth I actually had a restoration of my gut. I no longer get bloatedness. I no no longer get chronic uh, constipation, and no 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 longer get acid reflux, and um, and also you know I was getting physically ill as well. I was getting a, um, a lot of sickness from from what my gut was doing, um, but I also see a lot of the time people talking about gut restoration when the stomach has been abused because of disordered eating, right? So, how important is this as a as a element to a person's recovery journey in in regards to the way that the gut needs to be restored and even potentially how you know the the this. I don't know how much you can share on this or how much you know, but the idea that the gut and the brain are actually linked and um, could be exacerbating the problem if we have problems in our gut. So maybe you could speak on this a little bit. It's very much a classic, like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it the eating disorder that messed up the gut? Is it the gut that's causing the eating disorder because the body's getting sick? Or So we do a lot of education on 99% of the time you will have problems with your gut because your body is not used to eating consistently. It's not used to eating a variety of foods. It's not used to eating the amounts that you're you're supposed to be having. And so our bodies are so smart and they acclimate so quickly. So when someone is not getting that proper nutrition, their whole body is going to respond, including their GI system. We really talk about this is your medical nutrition therapy is, is eating not just mentally to help you, but also physically to, to restore that balance in your body. Why we focus on variety so significantly with our interventions too, is that like a variety of nutrition, a variety of different types of protein sources, different types of grain sources, because the eating disorder can so easily narrow itself down into only being okay with like a few foods here and there or a few food groups that like to actually create a healthful like gut microbiome that is like strong and diverse and doing the right thing it takes a variety of nutrition to not only like feed the microbes living in our digestive tract but also feed and nourish ourselves so um, that's a, a huge part of the work that we do with clients is is not only just learning how to like tolerate the GI distress that they might experience, almost expect it at times, but then also how do we work ourselves through like healing that so that we can be recovered from from the trauma to our gut that that causes. I, I have been learning more about the gut-brain axis as well too, but I feel like that's something that has such a very like newness to me that I might not be able to speak to it very adequately. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you, you speak to me a lot about this idea of really educating a person who's going through eating disorder recovery in terms of what's going on in their physical body um, uh, from a scientific point of view and what's going on in their guts and what's psychological, what's based in truth, what's not. So, how important or what do you see the benefits of coming to a dietitian or having dietetic information shared with you in your eating disorder recovery? I mean, a lot of people try to do it without a dietitian. So maybe you could tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think it just goes back to you. Food is the medicine. And so you have to be really careful when working as practitioners in this field because the lines there's there's a line of like this is the the dietitian scope this is the therapy scope 
And those lines are blurry. So we are using therapeutic techniques in our nutrition counseling and therapists are, they're asking about your meal plan and they're asking about like behaviors and and things like that, but they're not going to be recommending or they should not be recommending. Here's what you should have to meet your meal plan. That is definitely the scope of the dietitian um, because that is their specialty and their niche. So it's because food is that medicine to like get them to a place where they can even intake that information that they're getting in a therapy appointment. It's so, so important that someone has the individualized nutrition prescription that meets their where they're at in recovery and, and their goals. So it is really scary to think that people are just kind of going like a one-sided approach almost and not getting that roundabout care because I don't think I've, I've working in a multidisciplinary like facility, I haven't had the opportunity to even see if that would work or not. But I've, I have seen clients who have come into our program who are like, I just work with a dietitian or I just work with like a medication provider. My doctor referred me here. So I think that is just definitely something that you should have a a team with eating disorder recovery. One of your most recent blogs speaks about the top 10 mistakes you can make as a new dietitian. Would you like to share about any of these that stand out for you or all of them? I um, So I tackled that uh, blog here not too long ago, and I think that there's a little bit of a theme behind some of the topics that came up is that like as a professional, especially a new professional in any field, you come out with your textbooks ablazing and you're like, I've, I know it all. I've learned all the things. I'm ready to just like help all the people that I can. And I think that a couple of the different points made in that blog post really talk about like taking enough of a step back to allow the client to enter the space with you because they know their lived experiences best and they know themselves better than we can in a, I don't know, 60, 75 minute assessment. So leaving space, not only to like get to know them as the human that they are, but also about all of the experiences that they're bringing to the table, I think is so, so important. I think as a newbie, we come in and we're like, I know exactly what um, caloric calculation and what, I don't know, other calculations we need to do to create the most ideal plan of attack for this individual. And then they'll come in and throw a curveball at you that like every time they look at a nutrition label, their brain goes to, to mush and they get anxiety through the roof. And so we're not going to talk about reading nutrition labels with that person. So for a newbie dietitian, that can feel like the rug's been pulled out from beneath your feet. You're like, oh gosh, this is what I thought I needed to do. And now this is a whole new person, a whole new ballpark. What am I going to do here? Um, and so I think we really have to just learn to like take that step back, really hear our people and not just assume that we know what's right only because we're the professionals. So like hearing them, meeting them where they're at, and then like being beside them to create a plan rather than like speaking at them and telling them what to do. I think that was one of like the biggest things that was like a huge learning curve for me at the start of all of this. And I don't think that's just like um, specific to the eating disorder world. I think that's specific to like professions who help in general. Yeah, that's the one that stands out the most to me from that blog post. Um, I've already spoken to burnout, but that as well is, is wrapped up in there a bit too, to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. So Taylor, would you add anything from that blog post? 
I think, I don't know if it was in the blog or not, but I think the biggest thing that I learned, it probably was in that post, we talked about it, but... There's only part one too, so... Yeah, we have another (laughs) more to come because it's like you learn so much. And that's something I love about this field is like, you're always learning and clients keep you on the edge of your seat every single time. So that's personally, I know we really appreciate that. You never have a, (laughs) very rarely do you have a, a boring day, but I think also just leaving space of you don't have to be like Jesse said, like so textbooky. Like I know when I first started, I was like, I want to help these people. I know what they need to do. I know what their meal plan should be. I know what their goal should be. And just really taking a step back and like listening. And also, like I said, with the line being lines being blurry of, I remember one specific time um, more recently. So I was pretty, you know, tenured in my role and had more confidence to do this, but a client came in and she had just had a really significant family trauma happen. And she just, it just wasn't appropriate for me to be like, how's your meal plan going? Like, how's eating going? And so me being able to just give her that space of, hey, what do you need? Like, how can I help support you in this moment? Because we just had a half hour session and just giving her that space to to cry and talk. And like, that's all she needed versus old slash new Taylor would have just been like, well, that's not nutrition. Like, that's not what I'm supposed to do. And not every session should be like that because I'm not a therapist. And at that time, that's like the best way I could have helped her um, versus just focusing on meal plan, nutrition, food stuff. So that's something that I've learned along the way is to to find that, I guess, like that boundary and to play with it depending on the situation versus being so black or white with it. I mean, it really sounds like both of you have this deep desire to see the person as an individual and you know I think that comes out in the business that you run and in the uh, the Emily program that you both are a part of and just this this view of saying how can I meet this person where they're at and I, I think there's a lot of professionals out there who don't see it that way um, and I think that that's probably sometimes what scares people away from dietitians because they expect to go in and stand on a scale, have their BMI calculated and get told these are how many calories you have to eat in a day, you know, and they think it's pretty much that's all there is to do with um, nutrition and eating disorders. And so those people who have these misconceptions of how um, a person can really be helped from a dietetics point of view, what would you say to encourage them to get the help that they need? I love that. I I think one of the things that I would just almost sarcastically say, but like, we're not the food police, like dietitians are not the food police. Um, But also finding the right dietitian is really important. So I think that like, depending on, again, this individual's past experiences and what they're actually looking for, it's really important to find the right Um, find the right dietitian that works for them, whether it's the personality that clicks or whether it's the fact that like this dietitian works from a health at every size, anti-diet intuitive eating space. And that's what I need that like, we're not all the same. And um, despite the fact that we have probably missed out on like educating the dietetics profession as a whole as adequately as we need to in the mental health field. There are dietitians who have made it their focus to like be prepared to, to, to work in that field too. So I would want people to hear that. I think the other piece too, like um, speaking along with that is there are so many more dietitians now that do want to work in the eating disorder space. Like we, part of our job at the Emily program, we have dietetic interns during their internship who it's their 
their rotation of choice and they're choosing to come and they are fabulous. Like we have so many, Justin and I talk all the time. We're like, I wish we would have known everything that they know, like coming into this just in undergrad or grad school that we just learned in our time here. So there are so many other professionals um, coming in that I think do have more knowledge and do have more understanding of eating disorders. And that's really cool as well. So I think there's more of us out there now that um, might be the right fit for people who have maybe had a negative experience in the past, unfortunately. Yeah. And and what you guys speak to over there is the fact that I think the idea of dietetics and psychotherapy and all sorts of modalities around eating disorders is actually pretty new stuff in the mental health realm, you know. Um, I think a lot of the professionals that are working in this space are are also learning uh, day by day. Like you said, there's never a boring day at work. Um, You're always dealing with new things. You're learning new things and you have to have an open mind. You have to be willing to put up that boundary where you go, well, this is the science. This is what the, the blood test is saying. This is what you need to, um, you know, restore your the weight that you need or whatever. But at the same time, having that open mind to say like, okay, this is what I need to learn about this person right now or about this way of eating and intuitive eating being like a new thing, you know. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, even things like this idea that weight loss doesn't necessarily equal health enhancement, which is something that you guys strongly stand for. So talk Would you mind sharing just about that specific point? Yeah. So we talk about that a lot um, with clients individually. Um, I think that when we traditionally think of the role that dietitians play in the medical field, a lot of people are like, oh, a dietitian, my diet, diet. Okay. So we're dieting for weight loss. It's just this one plus one equals two, like thought in an individual's mind. And, um, what we actually know, especially in the like mental health field and the eating disorder field is that like the role of the dietitian is not solely weight management, you know, and for many individuals who enter our doors, weight loss is potentially the most unhealthy thing that could happen for them. And so weight being the center of everything really, really is not fair to like the client, their ability to like reach recovery or um, to, to anything in the, in the mix there. So we really try to shift the focus away from like weight, weight, weight as a primary like function of like, this is what's happening and success for this person. And instead we focus a lot of our approach on behavioral change. So we take the approach that like, if I can help this individual change their disordered behaviors or their patterns of life that are contributing to like negative impact in their life, then maybe if weight needs to change as like a byproduct of that medically, like it could, but we truly center behavioral change instead of weight change. I know that there is a time and a place for maybe a malnourished individual who definitely needs weight restoration for that topic to like be on the table of discussion that like for your health, your physical health, we need to make sure that like we've restored the weight that the eating disorder took away from you. 
But a lot of times, especially since I work predominantly in lower levels of care, so our outpatient setting where they're not seeing us as often, I am really not focusing my conversations around what's happening to the individual's weight. I am truly focusing more on like, what are their strengths and weaknesses? What are the things that we can work on with their habits and patterns of eating? What are the ways we can find peaceful, mindful movement that they enjoy and will like sustain for their life, you know? Um, But when we center weight, the reason I say that it's unfair to the client is because there's so many factors that go into what our weight actually is that it's pretty unfair to say that like you as the individual have control over what your weight should be doing. So follow this list of rules and change it. Because that doesn't take into account the fact that like genetics, um, stress levels, medications, medical diagnoses, um, sleep patterns, so many other things make up this whole pie. And what we have control of is only a tiny little slice of that pie. So we decenter weight as the means of success and recenter what the client actually does have control over. I think that that's most definitely a very solid approach for a person who has disordered eating as well, because, you know, so many professionals that I dealt with in my own journey many years back was this idea of once you are a certain weight, you're cured, you know, and I think it's a very old school of thought. And it's wonderful to see people in the position that you guys are just really trying to educate the people about the the uh, mental attachments, the behaviors, the the processes, the, the, the other things that you don't think has anything to do with your weight, your sleep patterns, your stress levels and, and, and all of that. So really, really cool to see the space that you guys are operating in and the approaches that you have. So, um, I mean, it's been absolutely wonderful chatting to you both. Um, I've really learned a lot about the field that you're in, um, some questions that I've always thought about that now have been answered, which is really cool. And I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast episode who is interested in the field of dietetics and nutrition, specifically specifically with the eating disorder scope and maybe had some fears or some doubts or some questions have had those answered as well. So before I wrap up, I would love to know how we can find you, how we can contact you, or if there's anything else that you'd like to share before we end up the podcast episode. Yeah, so you can find us um, on social media, on Instagram. Our handle is LK Nutrition Ohio. We have a Facebook page as well you can follow. We post all of our new blogs, all of our new programs that are coming up. Um, and then our website is in, or our website is lknutritionohio.com. So you can find us there. We post our blogs and professional and client resources. We do, I want to call out one program that we have coming up is called iMove, which is geared towards clients who struggle with compulsive exercise. And so it's a 12-week program proven to help clients who struggle in that area decrease their compulsivity and a healthy relationship with movement and find that joyful movement that we've talked about. That is where you can find us. So once you guys have launched that, and I'll definitely be sharing on my social media, you must definitely let me know. Um, Obviously, the more people who do struggle with compulsive exercise that know about this, the better. And it can really move them into a space where they have a healthy relationship to movement in their body. Um, And would you like to say anything in closing, Jessie? 
Not necessarily, but thank you so much for having us. I I really loved chatting about nutrition, eating disorders, and just getting the word out there because you know that's that's our passion is to help as many people as we can. Thank you so much. It's really, really been such a pleasure having you both here. That was Taylor Lechner and Jesse Kilbaga from LK Nutrition LLC. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you have liked it, share it with people who you think might benefit from listening to it as well. Don't forget to go to my Instagram page called at Curious About Recovery to find out about upcoming episodes or to browse the episodes of the past. You can also follow my page called at Kirsten Honeyball where you can get inspiration for your eating disorder recovery.